0: There's only one authority on the Tennessee Titans, and that's the Tennessean. And there's only one show that's an authority, too, and you've found it. This is Talkin' Titans. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Talkin' Titans podcast. I'm Ben Arthur, Titans beat reporter for the Tennessean, here to discuss another week of Titans football, a big one this coming Sunday for Tennessee, who will be Hosting the Miami Dolphins in a critical AFC matchup. The Titans, uh, of course, looking to clinch up the AFC South title, looking for their second straight division crown. And, and the Red Hot Dolphins um, on a seven game winning streak, looking to um, get into the playoffs uh, in one of those wild card spots. Um, I'm hosting this episode um, alone as my co host Gentry Estes is. Um, on vacation, but I am not alone. I have a guest, uh, my man, Daniel Oyefusi, who covers the Dolphins for the Miami Herald. He's in his first season um, covering Miami, but he's also covered the Baltimore Ravens in the past. Daniel, thanks so much for joining me on the
1: pod. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me on, man.
0: Yeah, no problem. And and. I, I was actually on, on Daniel we're recording this on uh Wednesday and I was actually on Daniel's uh podcast uh on on Tuesday. So kind of helping each other out um with our with our weekly podcast. So, you know, helping, um, giving a lending hand uh where we can um ahead of this uh big matchup, as I was saying. Uh Daniel, I, I'm gonna go ahead and just kind of get into the the questions. Um you know that this Dolphins team is a is an interesting one, right? They, they started the year what like one and seven. They were on a seven game losing streak. Now they're on a seven game winning streak heading into Nashville. Um, the the first team in NFL history, I, I believe, to go on a seven game losing streak and a seven game winning streak in the same season how has miami been able to to turn it season around so drastically to kind of get uh in the afc playoff picture
1: yeah, man, it's really been a mixture of a, of a couple things, you know, when you look back at, at that one and seven start, uh, and like you said, seven straight losses, um, you know, the, just nothing was going right for this team. Tua loa suffered a broken ribs injury in the second game against the Bills, and he sub- uh, subsequently missed the next three games. So you had Jacoby Brissett, uh, their backup, and for a lot of those games, um, the, the defense just wasn't playing up to the standard of last year when it led the league in takeaways. They were uh, really strong on third down, not applying pressure, uh, seemed like they kind of got away from what made them so successful uh, last year. And, you know, at that one and seven start, um, you know, that was uh, right a couple of days before the uh, the NFL trade deadline. And obviously the first half of the Dolphins season was kind of filled with all these trade rumors and reports involving uh, Texans quarterback Deshaun Watson. And, you know, it got to the point where the day after the trade deadline, the, the general manager, Chris Greer comes out and without saying Deshaun Watson's name pretty much says, Yeah, you know, we we looked into getting a top flight quarterback. Um, so it just seems like, uh, you know, obviously Tua came back um, in the middle of that losing streak, and he had some pretty good games that weren't enough to get it done against the the, the Jaguars and the Falcons uh, specifically. Uh, but something just kind of clicked after that uh, that last loss to the Bills. You know, it was a loss, uh, 26 to 11, I believe. Uh, but something just kind of clicked in terms of the defense, uh, getting back to uh, the pressure and the, the blitz-happy tendencies that we saw last year. Uh, they got it going against the, the Texans, a like kind of a, a really messy, game to sat that game out again because of injury. Uh, and then obviously I think everyone saw that Thursday night game primetime against the Ravens where they just completely flushed Lamar Jackson. And it seems like ever since then they just been on a roll. Uh, so I think that really this this turnaround has been led by the defense, which is, you know, by the stats been the best defense since week nine. Uh, but I think having Tua back has really settled uh, that offense. It's still not great. The offensive line has struggled a bit, um, but he's doing just enough and he's playing really efficient football.
0: Yeah, and, and Daniel, I, I want to talk more about the defense in a bit, but to get back on Tua, yeah, the, the, the Deshaun Watson stuff was a really big storyline in the NFL at the beginning of the year. I mean, that was one of the top things people were talking about. Um, and so so kind of w- with that said, like, is has Tua looked like a, a franchise? Because the, the whole question was, you know, he, he kind of had his struggles last year um slow start to, to this season obviously and in, in injuries and whatnot do people in miami believe he can be that franchise quarterback he obviously came in with with tons of hype um and is he can he can he be the guy do you think and has he kind of shown enough to prove that okay you guys don't need to go after a quarterback in the off season.
1: Well, you know, behind closed doors, I mean, who who's to say, um, you know, we've asked Brian Forrest countless times, you know, in the first half of the season, um, is Tua going to be your quarterback for the rest of the season? Is Tua the quarterback of the future and so on and so forth? And he never really got into the Deshaun Watson reports. He just said, Tua is our quarterback. And while that's true, that doesn't mean that you can't be showing your interest in another quarterback. And again, Chris Greer came out and fielded multiple questions the day after the trade deadline about why they wanted to look into a quarterback like Deshaun Watson. So I think that, I think that after that one and seven start, we all kind of saw the final half of the season as like an audition for Tua, whether that was with the Dolphins or with uh, another team, I think he has played well, you you still do see uh, some limitations and maybe in terms of the the arm strength and the ability to make, um, you know, all the throws and whatnot. But at the same time, you know, he's playing behind an offensive line uh, that's really, probably the worst unit in the, in the NFL. They've struggled a lot with the, a lot of young guys on that group that just haven't really developed at the pace you'd like to see. Uh, so, so again, Tua has improved. Um, I don't know if we have a clear picture of him because not everything around him is the most ideal situation. And at the end of the day, you know whether they're able to complete this magical run into the postseason or not, um, I'm not sure if maybe that changes the, the perception of him um, in you know, in the eyes of Brian Flores or Chris Greer, they might have their their minds just so set on Deshaun Watson one way or another that whether this team is able to kind of complete this turnaround, they still might view uh, Watson as the person that they need to get in the offseason.
0: And, and you mentioned, Daniel, a lot has kind of worked against Tua just in terms of the o line play and and whatnot but I look at Tua's numbers I mean he I think he's leading the NFL in in completion percentage When, when and when I kind of found that out this week I, I was kind of shocked just because of the the narrative around him and then I think he only has one pass that's been batted uh like at the at the line of scrimmage I, I think that tops the the NFL and he's only six one. I know he's a, a lefty, but that kind of shocked me what what are the the dolphins doing or, or maybe w- what has Tua done that's kind of made him get this have that kind of success despite maybe perceived limitations he has and maybe kind of some of the personnel he's worked with at least up front?
1: Well, you know, going into the offseason after his rookie season, um, the Dolphins really went to length to kind of cater an offense um, to his strengths. So um, you know, they they bring in this, or I won't say bring in because the coaches were here uh the previous season, but um, they move on from Shan Gailey, who was the offense coordinator last year, and they kind of promote uh George Gotti, the tight end's coach, and Eric Studesville, the running back's coach, as kind of co offense coordinators. They bring in Charlie Fry as quarterback's coach. Who we had a relationship dating back to kind of uh seven on seven in high school, and they kind of implement this RPO heavy, RPO based offense that really uh um puts emphasis on getting the ball out quickly. You know, he he He's really good at that, um, getting the ball out uh, out of his hands quickly. And, you know, it's partly a byproduct of this bad offensive line. Now, it's the reason why they can't really um, draw up a lot of, you know, longer developing pass plays. Um, but just, you know, Tua has kind of been – Know, known and regarded as like the best RPO quarterback in the NFL. You know, he had a lot of success with it at Alabama. So he brought a lot of those elements to this offense right here. And, you know, with drafting Jalen Waddle, who Tua was with at uh, Alabama, you know, they just have, they just had this instant connection. You know, Jalen Waddle's is about to break Anquan Bowden's rookie reception record because uh, they're just throwing, to a, throwing it to him so quickly. Um, so I think that, you know, there's a lot of people in, in Miami in terms of fans and maybe, um, you know, uh, nationwide that are kind of looking at this offense and, you um, you know, there's a lot to be desired because they're not really pushing the ball downfield. But again, because of this offensive line, they have to kind of cater to two restraints. And to this point, it's working, you know, it's not the, it's not the most sexy thing in the world. They're not like the Kansas city chiefs just pushing the ball 25, 30 yards down the field, every single possession. Um, but, but it's working when you kind of match it with this defense that is limiting uh, opponents to like 10 points per game during this win streak.
0: Yeah. that Those are some great points. They are about, um, kind of the system in place to, to help Tua. You mentioned Jalen Waddle, um, and that's someone I, I kind of wanted to touch on too. You, obviously, they, they have that connection from their Alabama days. I guess maybe just how great has Waddle been? I mean, I, I've started to see him get some buzz for um, Offensive Rookie of the Year. Um, just kind of how how good has he been, and maybe how has he kind of eased everything uh, for, for Tua and for this offense, which... As you said, may not be as explosive as some of the other
1: offenses we see in the NFL. You know, I'll say that in a in a season of kind of inst- instability, especially on that offense. Um, you know, two has been out uh, for some games. The offensive line hasn't been that great. They've uh, had some pass catchers in and out of the lineup. Um, Waddle has really been that stabilizing, consistent force. You know, he's played all but he's played um, in in all but one game. You know, because of COVID protocols and entering this season. I don't think that they really expected, you know, he was supposed, he was going to be a big part of this offense, but I don't know if they expected it to this extent. You know, they had signed Will Fuller in the offseason to a one year, $10 million deal. They already had Devonte Parker, Mike Gusecki. So this was kind of like this Threesome, foursome um, uh, pass catches that were all supposed to kind of bring their unique skill sets and help to a. But Wolf Fuller has pretty much been out the entire season because of a finger injury. And Flores said a couple of weeks ago he doesn't expect uh, him to come back. Demonte Parker has been in and out of the lineup. Uh, Mike Kisecki has been consistent, but you know, some negate some games he's kind of phased in and out of the out of the lineup, but Waddle has just been consistent. I mean, you can kind of pencil him down for six, seven, eight receptions, uh, you know, 70, 80 yards, and you know, they're finding really, really creative ways to get him the ball. I mean, we saw it in the Saints game uh where he was in the backfield. He lined up in the backfield a couple times uh, and they're finding ways to get him the ball and then obviously in a really cool shuffle play, kind of getting him in motion and uh finding giving him an alley to just kind of find a crease and score. Um so again, he's been a really stabilizing force. I asked Tua if he kind of foresaw this this magnitude of impact in his rookie year and Tua kind of said, you know, I'm not a genie, but just kind of having that relationship back at Alabama, I knew, you know, how hard of a worker he was, how smart he is, how he recognizes uh, coverages and finds ways to get open. So really, you know, we talk about this offense, it runs through Jalen Waddle, uh, really. I and mean, when you see it with the 96 catches and all the uh, touches he has.
0: Yeah, and and uh, for for the Titans fans listening, they they did not want to hear a receiver that lines up in the backfield because of what <laughs> Debo Samuel did to. I, I mean, obviously the Titans won that Thursday night game, but but Debo was was very effective lining up in the backfield. Obviously, Waddle has that same capability as well. So how they how the Titans match up with him is going to be really interesting to watch. Uh, Daniel, I wanted to get back on the the Dolphins defense I I believe this is the strength of 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 the Dolphins it's kind of as much as the the offense has been able to do enough for Miami it seems like the the defense has really led the charge we saw them just make Ian Book not want to play football anymore (laughs) with eight sacks I I want to say yeah Uh, just harassing him the entire game uh and I I guess the the they haven't given up more than 24 points in the winning streak. So, so they're just really clamping down what has made kind of this defense so good. And, and you, you were talking about earlier, how it was, you know, pretty good last year. They, they kind of had that rough patch to start this year. How have they been able to kind of get back on track?
1: Yeah. Well, again, I have to go back to that, that Buffalo bills game and uh, I guess that'd be week eight. And again, it was a loss. Um, the game kind of, uh, got away from them in the second half. But when we talked to their Pro Bowl cornerback, Xavier Howard, after the game, he said he felt good about what they were doing on defense. He said, uh, we got back to to what we did last year. And when he said that, he kind of elaborated and said, you know, the man to man defense, the, the blitz heavy tendencies. And I'm not to this to this day, I'm, I'm still not sure why they didn't rely on that more often. You know, the, the defensive coordinator, Josh Boyer said that, hey, every year you have to kind of reinvent yourself and, you know, teams key on to what you do well. Um, but again, the it really starts with the pressure. Um, you know they've had some. They had some new guys uh, come in there specifically. Javon Holland kind of taking over uh, as a rookie free safety. Jalen Phillips as a outside rookie outside linebacker, pass rusher. Um, but for the most part, those guys. You know that were there right now, they were in this system last year. So I think it just kind of took a couple games to get the new pieces in there, get them acclimated. And again, it, it comes back to the pressure, you know, if they get in second and long, third and long, they're showing that zero blitz where they have everyone line up at the line of scrimmage. Um, sometimes they're going to bring everybody, Sometimes they're going to drop some guys and it's that like deception that's just tricking a whole bunch of uh, quarterbacks right now. And again, it starts with that pressure up front. Um, They're just making life miserable for a lot of quarterbacks. And, you know, I will say, you know, a lot of Dolphins fans don't want to hear this, but, you know, they have kind of feasted on some some subpar quarterbacks. Um. And it, I think that this Sunday will be a really interesting test against a more experienced, uh, veteran quarterback in Montana Hill, But you got to give them credit for just really turning everything around. I mean, if you look at the numbers from Week Nine when that win streak started, uh, they lead the league in sacks, and now they lead the league in league in sacks for the entire year. Um, they're they're turning the ball over, they're getting off the field on third down. So it was really a complete turnaround for that defense.
0: Yeah, the the pass rush that Dolphins pass rush against this. Titans' O line is absolutely going to be one of one of the big things to watch. The Titans, of course, have had pass protection issues all year, and now they've kind of had some guys in in COVID protocols. Taylor Lewan just coming back, uh, but uh, still have some guys out. That that's going to be uh, a, kind of a fun battle to watch there. And and kind of before I, I ask. Daniel, more, more stuff about the, the Dolphins. I wanted to tell you guys about the new sports app we've launched as part of our USA Today family. USA Today Sports Plus is the new app that, that puts the fans first. Get the latest scores, stats, and standings and enjoy interactive experiences with our award winning sports writers. Download USA Today Sports Plus from the Apple or Google Play stores today. USA Today Sports Plus dot Now, Daniel, um, as kind of an insider uh, with this team, I'm wondering, um, like, if you're kind of a Titans fan, uh, what about the Dolphins maybe isn't talked about as much um, that maybe uh, you should maybe be concerned about if you're a fan uh, uh, for the Titans? Maybe not. We kind of know the main storylines, right? The The Dolphins pass rush. Uh, kind of a, a Tua kind of playing efficient ball within this RPO offense. But maybe what's something that's maybe not talked about as much um, outside of Miami that maybe people here should know about this
1: Dolphins team? That's a good question. That's a good question. I mean, I think one thing that we haven't maybe given Tua enough credit for and really that offense is that, um, you know, they, they don't make – They make life hard on themselves sometimes, um, but they don't really turn the ball over too much. I think that that's that's been one really big thing for Tua. um, And I've kind of viewed over the course of this win streak, the offensive job is like, just don't mess it up. You know, you might take a bad sack. You might have a three and out every now and then, but they haven't really thrown... A lot of bad interceptions or kind of debilitating turnovers now I will I will say in the past three games to a haste on three interceptions um which is his his most in, in a while you know prior to that he went like the previous seven or eight games only turning the ball over once uh so, so I will say that you know that that's one thing like they haven't they're playing clean football and while they don't score a lot of points, when they get into the red zone, they make the most of their opportunities. I think during this win streak, they're right around like 60 uh percent in terms of their red zone conversion percentage. So it's like when they when they get into the red zone, they take advantage of those opportunities. Um, they have Waddle who's a really shifty guy. So they they go to him in the red zone. They have a lot of really creative plays for him. And and that's the one thing I would say, you know, they they kind of struggle in between. In between, you know, from the from the twenty to, to the twenty, they struggle there. But it's like once they get inside the twenty, um, that's when you start see a lot of the creativity there. So if if I'm you know a, a Titans fan, if I'm you know watching this matchup, it's one where you just want to try to make Tua as uncomfortable as possible because there's this kind of some people there's this kind of narrative that he's like a one read quarterback. You know, if he doesn't see that one read, he's gonna he's gonna you know do something dumb. And while I don't necessarily agree with that hundred percent, he does have a tendency when he gets out of the structure of the original play to kind of, to kind of get out of himself, you know, he's a really smart guy. He's a real decisive guy, but sometimes when he gets out of the structure of the play, you know, he's not a Lamar Jackson, a Kyler Murray. He's not going to start running around and running in circles and try to make something happen. Um, he can kind of have a tendency to, just throw a, throw a bad pass there, you know? Okay.
0: And, um, I guess, Daniel, before we get into our, our, our predictions, um, I have to ask about maybe the, the Miami side of the whole Ryan Tannehill thing. He was obviously with, with the Dolphins for um, seven years. Um, uh, I guess really a lot, lot of injuries, kind of mediocre teams, kind of defined Tannehill's time there. And then he kind of comes to Tennessee and gets his career on track, I guess. um I know that that in terms of personnel-wise, that there maybe aren't too many players on the current Dolphins that were there when uh, Tannehill last played for them. But maybe just how have the Dolphins, the, the the GM, Coach Flores, um, I believe he he maybe was just coming in when Tannehill was going out. How 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 have they kind of discussed uh, what uh, to Tannehill's time in Miami and just kind of facing him again?
1: Well, well, you're right in that uh, when the team f- hired Brian Flores, I guess, you know, after that 20 uh, 2018 season, kind of going into the 2019 season, um, they they kind of had a decision, you know, whether they wanted to, you know, keep Ryan Taylor or go separate ways. And obviously, you know, bringing a new coach and them kind of starting this rebuild, they wanted to go their separate ways. And it's funny, uh, Brian Flores was asked on... I believe it was Monday or Tuesday after the game, um, multiple times about Ryan Tannehill. And he really didn't want to get too much into it. Obviously, he didn't coach him, but he had nice things to say about him. Said he's a smart veteran quarterback who, who's tough minded and whatnot. Uh, so he didn't want to talk too much about it. But we, like you said, there, there's not too many players remaining from the Dolphins that you know, played with Ryan Tannehill. We did actually speak to uh, Derm Smythe, the tight end, and Mike Kasecki, another tight end, who were rookies in uh, Ryan Tannehill's final season. I believe was the 2018 mm. season, and they were really complimentary of him. You know, Durham Smith said that he shared a, a locker next to door. His locker was next to Ryan Tannehill as a rookie, and he said he was just a very uh, a very uh, great leader, um, a veteran that they could lean on and kind of show them the ropes. So they were all really complimentary of them And kind of on the other side, I, I saw that Ryan Tannehill was complimentary as well um, and said he has no ill feelings, you know, regarding his time in Miami. But, again, I'm sure that he'd love to, you know, kind of stick it to his old team oh, in a high-stakes game. Exactly. <laughs> You
0: know? Yeah, yeah. But obviously, there. And, and look, there, there have been some worse breakups, like in in the NFL. I mean, I, I don't think there's any animosity between these sides at all. Um, it just, I mean, he was there for seven years. I mean, it's yeah. not like they gave up on him necessarily. It just, it was just kind of time to kind of move on. But I mean, from like you said, from Ryan's perspective, he would love to beat uh the Dolphins, and and in this game, if they win, they they clinch the the AFC South um, title. So, um, Daniel, any any prediction uh, for this game? I I know it's still relatively early in the week. Uh, we're recording this Wednesday evening, but what uh, what's kind of your feel on this game? Do you think T- Ryan, Tannehill will get his, I guess, his revenge if you even want to call it that, or do you think the Dolphins can pull this one out?
1: Yeah, from the Dolphins' perspective, it's it's interesting because, again, during this seven-game winning streak, I mean, they've only beat one team um, above 500, and that's the Ravens. Um, back when, you know, they were kind of considered an AFC contender, the, the wheels were kind of falling off there, but it's still an impressive win nonetheless. Um, you can't really take much from this past win when they beat up on a Saints team that was decimated by COVID-19. So this is really probably the best team that the Dolphins are going to face since week eight when they lost to the Bills. And while I do think that there's the potential for the Dolphins defense to make it a long day uh, against that offensive line and with Ryan Tannehill, I do think that the Titans are going to have the ability to test the Dolphins through the air, unlike They've seen in, you know, the past two, three months, you know, um, A.J. Brown being back is going to be really helpful. It's going to be a really good matchup with Byron Jones and Xavier Howard. If Julio Jones is able to come back, I mean, that's that's just going to be a a great matchup to watch the entire 60 minutes. And, And I do think that at some point, the offense, not the Dolphins offense, not being able to put up, you know, more than like 24 points consistently, I think it's going to come to bite them here. And uh, I do think that the Titans kind of spoil this uh, second half run with a 21 to 18 win. Yep.
0: Yeah. I, I'm kind of thinking close one to Daniel. Um, I do think it's going to also be kind of relatively low, low scoring. I think both these defenses are elite, but like you said, I, I think the Titans have enough offensively with AJ back to, kind of get over the hump, but heck, w- what do we know? I mean, the, there could be 10 guys placed on the COVID list with either team um, and then they're out or, you know, guys coming back with, with the new protocols. You just um, never know. It, you just never know, man. Um, so yeah, that that will pretty much uh, do it. Thank you uh, to, to Daniel Oyefusi from the Miami Herald for, for joining us on this week's episode of Talking Titans. Please follow him. Um, on Twitter. Daniel, you want to go ahead and, and uh, give yourself a, a shout out so, so the Titans fans can give you a follow?
1: Yeah, of course. You know you can find me on social media, Twitter specifically at, uh, at Daniel Iofusi. That's uh, D-A-N-I-E-L-O-Y-E-F-U-S-I.
0: Good stuff, man. So that'll do it for this edition of Talkin' Titans. We hope you'll su- subscribe to the Tennessean um, if you haven't already. And remember to hit the follow to this podcast on iTunes. Google Play or wherever it is that you get your podcast and drop us a review and a rating while you're at it from Ben Arthur, Titans beat reporter for the Tennessean. Thanks for listening and and I'll see you guys next week. Talkin' Titans hosts each Thursday at Tennessean.com. You can also subscribe to Talkin' Titans for free on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. I'm Sean King. Talkin' Titans is a production of the Tennessean.